Joseph, welcome on the podcast. Hey, hey, Rafe. Thank you for welcoming me. Yeah. <laughs> It's good to finally get a chance to uh, to do this. I know we uh, first sort of started talking about having you on the podcast. It seems like quite a long time ago. I don't even remember when, maybe before 2020. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it before 2020 even? Okay, yeah, but it's a long time ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. But uh, yeah, I've been interested in, in being able to share a chat with you for a while, and I'm excited to get the chance. And, you know, I, I've been reviewing a lot of your content over the last... Uh, you know, a couple of weeks uh, preparing for for us to chat. And I think what's particularly interesting about, you know, us conversing is I think we've both evolved through some similar stages um, with uh, starting as parkour athletes, exploring natural movement, um, exploring kind of the the uh, the movement culture space and, and what that meant. And, um, and then it really ending up in a kind of movement practice serving a more philosophical lens right mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a self-cultivation lens so it's quite interesting because i feel like we haven't really interacted with each other at all particularly but there's been a very similar set of stages that we've gone through so i, I figured it'd be an interesting place to start like you you call your own podcast the Leibniz praxis podcast yeah. which is yeah or as i understand the german means life practice yeah so how did you go from becoming from being a parkour athlete in your teens to teaching movement culture, MoveNet to now a life practice? What is yeah, movement I, with a life practice? Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good question also. <laughs> uh, because I mean sometimes I say that this was always my plan. Um, and I think it's true. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to know what uh, was the history, no, like we also yeah. sometimes make things up about our history, but I fear it was my plan always to go into something broad. I wanted to um, do something that feels for me very real. Yeah. So the parkour, for example, it felt for me very real because it's touching the environment and you move through the environment and so on and so forth. And from there, the steps happened that I felt, okay, now I want to open it and I want to open it and I want to open it. But at the same time, uh, I feel this was also early on happening in my education because I went to a school where we had actually a much broader, uh, much broader set of materials that we interacted with. So it was not just a normal like you learn chemistry, mathematics, and so on and so forth, but there was a lot of crafting, there was a lot of arts. So there was also underlying that a, a different approach to human life, I would say. Uh, so this was a this is, was a world of school. I don't know if you ever heard about that. I think there is yeah, yeah we have like this in the school. US. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rudolf Steiner. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, Rudolf Steiner School. Um, this is, let's say, relatively common in Germany. Like every city has a school like this. In Berlin, there are like four or five, or something like that, uh, because it, it is originally from Germany, and that definitely left an impact on me also because uh, my family in my family there's lots of arts and through that I feel uh, the lens was in the end always 
let's say a philosophical one. So already with the parkour, I remember myself, I, I, I did um, a parkour in, in my small city. I am from a city, uh, relatively small, like 200,000 people. And there was this university students, they needed to make a film for their university. And they asked us, uh, can we do something about parkour? And we said, ah, okay, we were like 15. We were excited. And so this was my first interview in front of a camera. <laughs> and already then I said, uh, yeah, actually, in the end, it's not really about like moving here over walls, but about what happens with yourself when you do it and the impl implications from it. And it was funny because I, I, I sort of like while I was saying it, I like listened to myself from the outside and I've, it felt like, ah, oh, it's interesting that I'm saying this like it it really stuck with me like it was uh an, an important moment where i said this to someone in front of me what is really important for me and that definitely stayed with me that i would say the movement for example to get back to that question is important for me, mainly, like in my teaching, because it's happening so little also in our society nowadays. This is sometimes I say, I tell people, if we would live in a more natural setting, I think the movement practice that I would do with people would be much reduced. It's mm -hmm. like nowadays, I feel that's important. Uh, but in my own practice, I practice this so much for so many years and i i move of course uh and every day and i feel how much i i'm connected to this like this morning i did a run like just like nothing complex i just was running uh but really connected with myself doing it like i felt okay how am i breathing yeah how am i stepping how can i relax and so on and this was with me for the whole day yeah where i did more like work and uh, things with my children and so on and so forth but i i'm very connected to the power of it but my practice is in the end not about movement mm -hmm. so would you say that was kind of always the ethos behind your practice or did that evolve over time or a, a continuing recognition that you were sort of seeking something through movement that was not itself movement? I'm not 100% sure, actually. I, I think there was both. Like I was very interested in, in developing myself in the movement, like in developing some skills and so on. Like that was important for me, uh, definitely. A lot has changed through getting it's like like for becoming a father and i am definitely also interested what you say about this how your change was and uh i i've yeah talked with a friend of mine today who's now becoming a father and he said suddenly these things where i felt wow this is exactly the things that i said when uh like i was six months away from from getting my first child like how much it changes on your outlook uh, on life so that's definitely one thing that was a big impact that drove me more towards that 
um, realization that in the end other things they're they're more yeah i i don't know if deeper is the right thing to say but you know like there are other things behind that that i care about and definitely in the last years there was how do i say it it's a bit tricky always to say nowadays but there's some sort of a spiritual maybe even religious component in uh that i explore yeah. through my practice and through my doing um yeah but it's a bit I, i'm slowly starting to talk a little bit more about that germany is very very secular mm -hmm. and um it's a bit uh, yeah i am always a bit careful with how i say it i grew up also very secular and i um i try to find the words to what i feel inside and to my connection with the world or with i would say yes yeah, something that is beyond ourselves no something that is bigger than ourselves and mm -hmm. uh yeah that, that's definitely something that happened that was not there so much before like because like the first things i was the first times i was introduced to you know things like meditation or something like this when i was 18 uh i was introduced to that in my wilderness training i did a lot of a lot of wilderness survival also uh and i remember the first times it was like yeah okay i do it like because i i i um really like the place and i really like my teacher and so on but i was much more interested in making fire and all this stuff of course mm -hmm. and that that's changed so much through time i feel like i'm going the normal path you know i'm going the normal path of becoming older and it, yeah <laughs> what it changes what i what's important for me how was that for you rafe is that is that similar i think so it's funny there's a few little thoughts popping up so the first time i ever really like heard your name like i think i had seen even one of your parkour videos uh many many years ago but uh i spoke with craig mallet um mm. when i was visiting and he he told me that he like of all the people within the move Not community he really liked you and uh he was you were very german very german like everything's super precise super like directed you had a really clear goal and you were like really into the the wilderness skills and somehow that he was like he wanted us to meet for some reason because of that and then I, I think you've also worked with my friend Ben Metter. So it was just interesting to kind of like have these things. But I, I also would say that I have become, I'm also exploring religion for sure. Uh, it was quite interesting because I was just at this conference called ARC, the Association for Responsible Citizenship, which was organized around Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson's been a big influence on my work. Um, it was interesting because the first time I'd seen him in person in a long time and uh it would like i've heard so much of his stuff so often that i kind of it's kind of boring now like some of it is it's just sort of like you know it's the same it's like i just heard the message too many times uh when he goes exploring it's very interesting but when he gives his the stuff that he's talked about before it's like i've i've absorbed it but i watched it with some friends one of his talks and i was like and it struck me like oh I, I've forgotten, I've forgotten how much that impacted me, right? But then I also forgot why I was ready to be interested in Jordan before I found Jordan. Because 
I, uh, I had become interested in the question of meaning and its relationship to movement. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was in, when you talked about that moment of like looking at yourself saying something and being like, oh, that's interesting that, that I would choose to say that. What am, what's coming out of me right there? For me, a really big moment like that was uh, being on a, a sense defunct podcast called the uh, the Good Mover pro, pro, podcast, I think, by Justin Goodhart. And I can't remember what he said, but I told him, I think the ultimate purpose of a movement practice is to unlock deeply meaningful experiences. Mm-hmm. And I was later, I was like, okay, was I already influenced by Jordan when I said that? Or was that, was I like, was I groping towards something that then Jordan would give me language for? And I, I, I went and found it. And it was like, oh, it was 2014 when I said that. And I didn't find Jordan until 2016. So I was already mm-hmm. like thinking about this question of movement. And I, and I was able to track it back and realize that I had just exhausted and broken myself through trying to pursue parkour as like a professional athlete. And then I had had gone really deep into a play-based focus influenced by Frank Forensic's work. Um, and that was really like... Initially, I had this incredible explosion of skill, actually, by like not caring nearly as much about what I was doing in any given training session. But then it was like I became too, too impulsive, and like some of the the consistent work that needed to get done wasn't getting done, and the play focus was not enough. And so I needed to take on this this bigger picture, and that's when I discovered this idea of like meaning. Meaning is what oriented me. And then since then, I've like, yeah, I've I've started exploring. Through Jordan, I came into the idea of the heroic, right? That parkour is like a hero's journey. But then if we just go out and we become courageous and we just go out and we become capable of solving problems and we become emotionally resilient and we become all these things, but it's not in service of some higher good, that ultimately that can actually be that could be, you can be a villain, not a hero, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in order to be to be oriented to the good, you have to kind of have a highest value, which for me is is the love that tries to bring good into being. Um, so I don't know. Sorry, I'm kind of all over the place with that answer, it feels like. But um, there's a lot to yeah, no, I, that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel connected to that a lot. Like, I was always very... Um, I felt always very connected to exploring like morals and ethics. It was always very important for me to be very clear about that. Also, like mm-hmm. um, something I work together in in a team with uh, Mariana, a, mm-hmm. a woman from Bra- from Brazil, and sometimes she tells me, "Joseph, you are so Christian," and she says it as a joke a little bit, and she know because she knows like my values are. It's not because I went to church or something like this. When I grew up, I never went to church. Mm-hmm. But it's, I, I, I mean, still my, my family was very clear about values. Yeah. And it came also like very natural for me. And that, that was also like, I liked that in the parkour or so that uh, at least we had always this code, no, like, you don't want to break anything you want to respect people and like like let's be a like a force for good like we show how the city or the environment can be also used 
and we want to do it in a positive way that there's a there's a positive uh mm, perception of this like it was not punk it was not punk like it was not oh, about yeah. mm -hmm. you know like being yeah, yeah. like outside of society or something like this. This was more of opening this for society and showing, hey, it's also possible to do that. Like you can also go up this wall instead of around. And uh, uh, yeah, I feel very connected to that idea of saying, hey, actually what we shall practice is, is the, the good or the the connection the 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 positive however yeah the love the love mm -hmm. however you want to say it like whatever word but this like our values yeah and i i hope that uh this is also through my practice with people that this is also happening yeah and sometimes i'm thinking Shall I talk more about this? Shall this be a bigger topic or shall it be a little bit more in between the lines? You know, like, because you don't want to be like, uh, in German we say, uh, yeah, moral prediger, this like, moral priest, priest of morals, you yeah, know, yeah. it's like a bit of a negative term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, we have so many conflicts in our world. Can we support? in it yeah somehow like being in the yeah. of solving some of these conflicts if we're moving from what one of the ways that some of my students have described what i'm doing to me and said that what they want to do is kind of in alignment with what they see me doing is this idea of of making parkour a wisdom practice right it's like okay so Parkour is a practice that young men take on and 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 young women, but more, but really, you know, 90% of it is young men or 80% of it's young men. And it's attractive because it's a testing grounds, right? And it's a way of of seeing how strong you are and how strong you can become and how courageous you are. Uh, but there's kind of a point at which you you realize that that's not something you can serve forever, right? You're not gonna get stronger forever. <laughs> You're not gonna do bigger jumps forever you you know like you you figure out that you can jump between a building and it's amazing and then like you know 10 years later you're like what am i still getting out of this is there exactly is there a way is there a way to grow in the practice such that it now delivers the, you know for a young man maybe courage is the thing that they're most needing to cultivate in themselves but for a father maybe it's something very different and can the practice continue to be a source for that for you and if so how do you orient around it um and i think ultimately if we want if we want it to be a wisdom practice we want it to be a life practice uh, whatever these practices are movement culture parkour uh they have they do have to have an ethical dimension you know and that's something that I, I guess I've struggled with because like my upbringing. So I imagine you ran into some of this um, because Rudolf Steiner and the Waldorf schools are definitely associated with the 
counterculture for us in the in the states but right i grew up in the hippie counterculture mm -hmm. a lot of orientation towards spiritual awakening within the hippie counterculture um a lot of meditation a lot of yoga um, a lot of exploration of sexuality um but there was very little deep consideration of the trade-offs in in ethics and how to become ethical and how to act morally it felt like and there was a lot of people there's a lot of what I, I i perceived as spiritual bypassing right um you know my dad cheated on my my mom and uh and kind of neglected his relationship with with me and my siblings and you know everyone was pretty pissed at him you know in our teens and he would say to us you know you create your own reality and i would say yeah you you created this reality your actions created a reality where all the people who are closest to you resent you you know and he he was able to learn and become a much more moral and ethical person and, and heal those relationships you know later in his life but but that was very characteristic for me of the of the counterculture and so it's something that i was always very hesitant of and like you when i discovered parkour it felt it was not punk that was a big thing right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh like we were often sort of compared to skateboarding but skateboarding was very like damn the man screw society if we're destructive whatever and what i loved about parkour in the beginning was it was not like that at all right it was like we're trying to be i thought of parkour as kind of the um the anti-fight club right <laughs> Like, uh, you know, the, the movie Fight Club, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there is that idea, like, there's something that we need, you know, we need to go out there and, and test ourselves. But there was a, a self-destructive impulse, which is Fight Club. And there's the inverse of it, which is a self-cultivation impulse. Yes, you can go test yourself, but you can test yourself in a way that's actually aimed at becoming the type of person who can serve society better. And that ethic was there at the beginning of parkour and was very attractive. But as I've kind of moved through the community, I've seen in the movement community, in the yoga community, in the fitness community, in to a lesser degree the parkour community, but even the parkour community, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad ethics, right? A lot of people who are who are taking advantage of the idealism of young people, a lot of people who are taking sexual advantage of students. Um, it's a and so that that question of how do we articulate ethics and how do we live up to them and how do we cultivate people who can live them i think is is yeah it's a very fundamental question to something like a life practice yeah and in that sense the cultivation of empathy and the cultivation of being able to uh sense how someone else is feeling or might feel no that's mm -hmm such an basic crucial uh thing i remember i uh, there, this was a, like a small thing but it burned itself into my head i remember we picked up some uh wood somewhere like uh, we needed wood for for to i don't know anymore for fire or to craft something i don't know but we looked on the internet and okay there was someone uh um cut down a tree want to get rid of the wood so you could just come there pick it up no one was there also you just say okay yeah you can get you can go on the property just take it and and i remember we were taking it and one of the guys i was with was um 
like I was saying, okay, should we put this wood over there? So because it's very heavy, and then the guy has an easier easier time because because if it lays here, it needs to you need to put it somewhere else. And they said, yeah, yeah, come on, like that's his problem. And I thought, yeah, but oh, I mean, of course, we don't have to do that, but. If I imagine myself being that person that owns this property and I come home and I see these people have considered like where to put that and it helps me a lot. So easily we make a better world because we were just thinking about the other people. But in this moment, I realized, and it's a guy I spend a lot of time with and, and that I uh, feel very close and respect a lot but at this moment i felt like hey what's going on like why are you not on why do we even have to discuss that mm -hmm. that we are doing this just takes us a few more minutes to do that and yeah it's heavy and blah 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 but whatever and i feel this is such an important thing that sometimes gets lost how you know how how are we acting in our society and can we act in a way that this is actually happening? Yeah, this respecting other people, even if I don't have to, you know, like I don't necessarily get something, I don't get something uh, back from it. Yeah, it's more like a loop, no? Like you do something nice for someone and this person does something nice for someone. And that's why I made a video about this that I haven't published yet. I hate it when oh, I hate it's a bit strong, but yeah, I said I hate it when uh, you help like a stranger. For example, a stranger loses his key. You find the key, and there is maybe a tag of whom this belongs. You give it, you bring it back to the person. Stranger gives you something. Yeah, I don't know how this is called in in English. In in German, it's called like reward for finding something. Yeah. Finalo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it gives you something. Yeah. Sometimes it's like a I don't know, bottle of wine or sometimes it's, it's money. And I always fear, no, you're breaking the thing here. The idea is I do something good and then you do something good, but for someone else, not for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. we create this endless loop in society. And of course we need also direct exchange. Like I couldn't be able to work if it would be mm -hmm. just, if I would have to wait until, <laughs> until it comes back to me, or maybe that would work if we would all be like this, <laughs> could be. But uh, yeah, of course in my daily life, I need to uh, ask for money for my work. But on the side of this in our free time, I think it's very nice to have this, uh, the stone pushed, yeah, that someone gets and then brings it to the next one, or the stone of, mm -hmm. of, of gift of a, of a gift, yeah. And I think I feel also like this what, what you what you said, no, this uh, journey through time, and what I also said, uh, and where I said, yeah, I feel I'm just doing the normal path, yeah, that uh, this is something that is broken a little bit in society, no, and you talk a lot about this, I think. Uh, that what I mean, what happens nowadays? Like you are a little child, then you come to school, and in school they tell you, okay, you have to learn this. Da, 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 da. Bah, bah, bah. You get out of school when you're 16 or 18, and now uh, you might directly like start your job training or start um, to learn your profession. Yeah, you go to university and so on. And on this physical side, there's never really a proper development. No, this is very mm -hmm. often missing. It's just not happening. Like it's never really this thing happening 
where then uh, the the other things automatically come. I would say like this uh, connection to spiritual ideas and so on and so forth. It's like in yoga where I feel, hey, in this, no, it's like in this old yo yoga uh, scriptures, there's only one asana, yeah? Mm -hmm. and, and all this all these other things is contemporary. Uh, and I feel, yeah, actually, and in the normal yoga, no, there's all this other stuff, like, like ethics and yeah. blah, 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 yeah? And uh, isn't it that the people back then had already went a very different path through the world, like, you know, physically and what they see, like the, the input, the sensory input, like for, for all the, uh, yeah, for all senses, of course, and how uh, they were dealing with the world and the primal stresses they had of like having not, maybe not enough to eat and being cold and so on and so forth. And they experience all of this. And from, uh, and, and on top of that, then comes the yoga and then comes the, pranayama and breathing and and the enlightenment and so on and so forth and this whole base is just missing nowadays for so many people and then yeah you have people okay they have basically not really never went to a proper physical education mm -hmm. uh or i talked with marcello today and he used the term uh, uh physical how do you say physical literacy i think physical yeah. literacy yeah? never got to physical literacy and then you do your asanas and and yeah and you do your meditation and so on and say, ah, but the step before you didn't do yeah I, I i i've thought about this in reference to like the martial arts right um i, I don't know if this is true but like there's a, a theory i had some years ago which is like traditional karate and some of the things you do in traditional karate it really clearly doesn't work now right but maybe it works better if you've been in a lot of fights and you've been in a, uh and you've roughhoused a lot uh -huh. and you've had some hardship and then it's like your mind can imagine what's happening you can see through the form to what's underneath it but when you remove all of the of the actual like childhood fisticuffs and you remove all of the childhood rough and tumble play it's like the the forms they have no they they just disappear into nothing right and they and we become obsessed with things that actually have nothing to do with anything we can't it's see a, them it's, what they are, it's right? an interesting like, question yeah yeah, yeah it's cool <laughs> i've been you know ramsey dewey and various other people have been saying like we think tai chi or okinawan karate these movements we think they're striking movements but they're not they're grappling movements right and so because we we didn't wrestle and we just focused on the forms we actually completely misunderstood what the movements are even for uh -huh. so like uh -huh. a low block in karate it doesn't it, it's completely impossible as a response to a striking attack but it works great to strip a grip in a grappling exchange mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so there's this this idea of a kind of like a uh, an implicit foundation that our philosophical practices or our movement practices uh, are based on that we don't recognize when it's lost, right? So if you live in an ecology where every kid climbs trees, then the baseline physical literacy is very different. And the way that you can educate that student is very different. And if you apply the same, the same sort of uh, pedagogy 
to a student base that's never seen a tree, you're not going to get the same result. Yes. Yeah. We'll stop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is so important. Like it's so easy to mm -hmm. say it, but they, I mean, that's, that's one of the big problems, no, that we are mm -hmm. engaging with at the moment, yeah. like exactly this problem. Yeah. I, but I think, so it's interesting because you said earlier that, well, I, I think you have this question. Maybe I have this question as well, which is we're starting from a physical base, a physical literacy base. We're saying this is lost and it's necessary. We're going to, we're going to start here. And then as we develop as teachers, we start to think, well, this is great, but I mean, it really doesn't matter, right? It matters. And it also doesn't matter. It's like, uh, I'm going to do this jump. Like, will will my life be fundamentally transformed if I can do the jump or I can't do the jump? It really mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty immaterial, right? So you go home to your kids and, and like, is your ability to love and show up for your kids in, impacted by that jump? And, you know, the answer can be no, right? Um, and then if you spend a, a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of thought saying, okay, I have to do this jump. I have to, I have to accomplish this thing. I'm going to do a double corkscrew. Um, and all your time and energy and obsession is going into this and it's got no impact on how you show up as a father maybe it's actually uh like an addiction it's not even it's it's, it's not even not additive but it's actually negative definitely definitely and i think Such this a huge can issue yeah i think this can happen and so i've i've come to believe that we have to consider every practice that is transformative as actually um, possessed of both a shadow side and, and, a, and a productive side, right? Um, I've seen it in parkour, right? Like I think parkour has the potential to be extraordinarily positive in development. And I still love to train parkour. I'm gonna go tonight and do a parkour session and, um, and I don't know if it's going to make me a wiser person, but it's going to make me happy <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy it. Um, but like when I started training parkour, everybody around me who was doing it felt like it was transformative. It had changed their life. They were a better person for having done it. And I don't sense that so much from people who practice parkour anymore. And what I've noticed over the years is that some people get a really dramatic effect of practice. Some people, it does it's just a hobby and for some people it can actually even become a way of feeding their neuroses in ways that are actually not serving them at all right uh, i've seen people go into the practices at height where they're really cultivating you know playing with the edges of death where it's it's really coming from existential angst that it's they're actually like kind of wanting to die um and their obsession with trying these things is driven by really dark emotional urges. And so it's like, okay, well, parkour isn't, isn't the panacea, you know, it's not going to fix everything. And then I've seen the same thing with martial arts, right? Like I know martial arts have had an extraordinary impact on me. Uh, and I've seen it have that impact on many, many people. And yet we have to deal with the fact that the best, the most skilled martial artists in the world, many of them are the worst people you can imagine mm -hmm. right john jones is the greatest 
MMA fighter in history. He's pretty clearly a narcissistic sociopath who physically abuses his wife, right? Like that's cultivating the skill does not cultivate the ethics um, simply implicitly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I completely agree. It doesn't come automatically. Like, yeah, you can. And it's also the same with meditation. No, like I like uh, to say sometimes the devil is also meditating. Yeah. He's also yeah. using these techniques. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I think this is from how's the guy is an American guy, uh, the, this in integral uh, Ken Wilber. Ken, Ken Wilber. Yeah. I think he also said like, Uh, the Nazis probably they were enlightened. They just didn't had they had very different ethics. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's from him. And it's yeah, this can be this stuff. It can be used for good and for other things also. And that's why it's so important to have a clear moral compass and also. I would say in the sense like the ability to reflect, but obviously not everyone has this ability. So we should be somehow in a construct where other people help us also to reflect, no? And where it's not that we run away and, or yeah, or where we are narcissistic. And I mean, our environment is just suffering from that, but because we are so great in what we're doing, like, you know, no one, uh, no one stops us in, in doing this thing. Like we need to be very open in our communication with each other. And I noticed similar things in, in parkour also. I don't know what's happening at the moment in, in, in parkour, yeah. I have to say, like, I really have like, Sometimes I'm at a spot and I meet some of of the people that I used to train with, uh, but I don't know how the people are that now start. Like I do mm -hmm. some parkour with my people, but as, of course, yeah, yeah. like I, I don't know. know the people that you know that are like 15 and ah, yeah, I start parkour yeah, on my yeah. own. Like, like I did. I have no idea uh, how they're doing, what they're doing. Uh, yeah, but but to come back to the meditation example, there is this. Uh, or a thing about like self-care that where the mother shouts at her child uh, be quiet now I need to do my meditation yeah, yeah <laughs> this yeah. is happening it's happening like uh, because yeah, yeah. We, we're here you have to do it you have to meditate or whatever and you forget about the idea yeah, but there's some other things that you also need to take care of I'm not sure yeah. which is first but you definitely also need to take care of that i mean i i've definitely done this right like i've been so focused on achieving goals in parkour right that i'm training really really hard and i'm maybe cutting my calories down to achieve a body composition that makes it easier to achieve these skills and then i'm super cranky and then i i don't have enough energy to play with my kids and then i'm overly reactive to you know small small insults in the house and it's like okay well my my, my obsession with achieving this thing is actually undercutting my capacity for connection with the people who are closest to me right my wife and my kids right <laughs> So I, I, you know, you can see it on a very personal level, but to go into the meditation example, like I, I, I like to talk about that too, because I think it is another thing that people treat as a panacea, 
And I've seen, mm -hmm. you know, Vipassana in particular, um, I think it's a great tool, but uh, I've seen people who've deadened themselves to emotion completely through a Vipassana practice. I've seen, I, I know people who have had uh, psychotic breaks after silent meditations. Um, like we don't, we don't understand the context. So this is why, you know, I've picked up the idea of an ecology of practices from my uh, friend, um, John Verbeke, right? I almost think of practice like permaculture, right? We're trying to understand the, the fundamental nature of the human being. And then asked, how can we create uh, sort of systems around life that allow the unfolding of the best expression of that and the best interaction of it. So Vipassana practice on its own, it it's, you know, it, it's not enough and it might actually not even be good in the wrong context. Yeah. But if you put it into relationship with a physical practice, with a communication and relational practice with a uh an empathy practice right now all of a sudden they can start to interact in such a way that the total sort of output is is much more beneficial and so i was i was watching your video on uh the map of the physical practice this morning and you mm -hmm. talked about locomotion manipulation dance combat um, and was, oh, communication. Mm -hmm. So I, I found that interesting because I've been playing with that kind of model for a long time. Um, I don't know how much you've been familiar with some of the models I've, I've put out, but, uh, m I first sort of started thinking about locomotion manipulation and combat, um, kind of at the tail end of the period that I was working with uh, Irwin on the development of what became mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. So uh, we were, you know, we were trying to revive Methode Natural. And Methode Natural had walk, run, jump, climb, move on all fours, balance, swim, lift, carry, or lift, throw, uh, and defend yourself, right? And so there's 10 core capacities. Yeah. And so Erwin was like, well, we need to have 12 or 14 because you have to have lift and carry and throw and catch. And and I was like, this is silly because you can always subdivide into further and further categories, right? So we could say self-defense, but self-defense with a weapon, self-defense unarmed, self-defense one-on-one, self-defense in a group, grappling, striking, right? There's There's any number of bifurcation points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, well, what are the what are the highest overarching categories that we can organize it around? The fundamentals that, that we can descend. You can you can go into finer and finer detail. Um and so I just took the the 10 things that were in Methode Naturale and I said, well, the first seven are locomotion. Mm -hmm. The next two are are uh are manipulation, and the last one's defense, right? And then I recognized that if you if you look at how life plays itself out, we always are gonna have more locomotive demands than manipulative demands and combative demands are gonna be the, the least frequent, right? But they also tend to have a kind of a, 
um, the importance of, of, of combat when it arises is very high. And so I looked at it as this pyramid, but also you can say yeah. that locomotive abilities are fundamental to, to manipulative abilities. And then those are both fundamental to, to combative abilities. So anyways, that was my model for a long time. But the, the problem I always had with that model was dance. Where does dance fit in? Uh -huh. When I was first trying to conceptualize this. So over the years, I then came to this idea of locomotion, manipulation, and interaction. Where interaction is the category of dance and martial arts and shared mm -hmm. work, right? So if we are, you know, sawing something together, right? then I have to attune my nervous system to yours in order to achieve this task. And so in some sense, that's related to dance or combat. Um, so I, and then I, I encountered Josef Frusik and Fighting Monkey, and he used this term body-to-body -body practice. It's like, oh, that's a beautiful way to think about it. So then we can think about body-to-environment, body-to-object, body-to-body. Yeah. And and then I was like, but where is the, like the spot, where does the spinal wave fit in that? Where does stretching fit in that? And so then we talk, thought about the body to itself practice or the body integration practice. Mm -hmm. But just in the last year, I have sort of, it's kind of talking about the same thing, but from a different lens. It's rather asking what are the fundamental relationships that define our experience of being. And if we think about that, you have the relationships that are internal to yourself. And this was actually partially inspired by something Ido said on the Andrew Huberman podcast. He described a locomotive layer and a combat layer and what he called the structural and somatic layer. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting that we're, we're putting somatic into structural. Mm -hmm. When we think about a structural and somatic layer, that's fundamentally all the relationships internal to the self. How well do the different muscular system, nervous system coordinate, the joint systems coordinate, but also how well do we coordinate cognitions, emotions, and actions in the body? How, how aware are we of what it is like to experience anger? So then we can think, you are always in relationship to yourself. You know, and if you think about like the massive modularity model of cognition where we're basically like a bunch of different almost competing personas in the mind then we're like even cognition itself is dialogical it's relational to, between different aspects of the self so internal to the self self to the environment as a landscape we move through self to the environment as a set of potentials for action manipulation and then the self in relationship to other embodied agents and then last would actually be the self in a relationship to the transcendent so for us there's five fundamental relationships and then our practices are about creating the capacity to achieve the good the true and the beautiful in those relationships that's really I think mm -hmm. the best about it so i don't know <laughs> there was a question when I started that, and then I just got into my model <laughs> and shared it with you. <laughs> but uh, thank, thank you for sharing. It is very, it's very interesting to hear. Uh, yeah. I can relate to it a lot. It's nice. Yeah. It's beautiful. And so I think uh, because we were talking about how do we avoid the shadow side of different practices, 
Yeah. Right. What happens when we only do structural and somatic practice? Have you been around a lot of people who are like just do Feldenkrais? Yes, a, a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And do you see this kind of this kind of? For me, it's like a physical myopia. They're so attuned to internal states that they like lose the capacity to be adaptive to what the world is offering. Exactly. And there can be a fear, no? Like, um, I, I guess you probably also had people that were afraid of doing strength training mm -hmm. because yeah. they were thinking they will lose the connection. Like, yeah, uh, yeah they will lose something and they, they didn't want to lose it. Like already the feeling of a strain in the body can already like be for them like uh, a threat. Yeah, they, they, they are losing something. Yeah. And uh, some Qigong or Taiji people are also notorious for it, know that there are teachers telling them never do strength and, and so on and so forth, uh, which is probably also coming from a time where you anyway had your demands of the life and you needed to carry water and chop wood and carry water and, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, you actually really don't have to do any additional strength training because you're already doing uh this stuff but yes i uh, and also with meditation also with vipassana there's sometimes i have to say and i hope i don't step on too many feet here but i know many people that have done a lot of vipassana and i'm still left unsure about it you know mm -hmm. like uh, that have been to many retreats and and do the one hour in the morning one hour in the in the evening But I have so reg with some of them. I have so regular moments where I feel where I just scratch my head and feel like, what's happening? What's going on? Like <laughs> this? No, like we, yeah. we, let's do this Because, differently. You know? Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think vipassana is a healthy practice when you don't have a well-established structural and somatic layer and locomotive, manipulative, and 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 uh, and interactive layer. I think it's actually disembodying and disconnecting. Um, but when it is in coordination with those other layers, it can, in fact, be powerful, is my sense. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it is like this. Yeah. Like I practice the possible, but I, it comes and goes, right? Like I don't. Uh -huh. I've never done an hour of practice a day, right? Probably the longest that I've ever done seated meditation is a half an hour. Usually it's maybe 10 minutes. <clears throat> It, well, maybe more than that, but I never do more than 10 minutes of the Vipassana, right? Like my, my meditative practice is usually sort of like, it, it, it changes. But um, when I'm practicing meditation regularly, what I like to do is a sit spot practice first. So the first mm -hmm. thing I'm doing is actually attuning to the environment mm -hmm. then i'll do the vipassana practice to to try to harvest the ability to have better control of my attention but once i have brought myself into control of my attention and i feel like i've calmed the the noisiness i'm better balanced in my attention i will then immediately go into a body scan And so I'm actually looking for like a feeling of sinking into my capacity for attention. And then I will use that attention to move through my body. 
And I do that a variety of different ways, but I might like just do an index where I'm moving specifically through it, or I might ask what is in my body calling for attention. And then mm-hmm. what is that, right? Why is it calling for attention? Is it overtrained or is it emotion that's stored in that area? And then could I release anything that doesn't need to be there? What it would mean to release it? What do it mean to respect what's happening there? And then last, I'll do a loving kindness meditation. So I will say, mm-hmm. sit and I will say, may I be well, may I be at peace, may I love and be loved. And then I'll ask myself, well, what does it mean in me to feel well? Like, and I'll try to remember times when I felt really, really deeply well in my body. And then I'll say the same thing about what does it mean to be at peace? And then I'll say the same thing about, okay, can I love? Well, who, do, who am I responsible for loving? I'm responsible for loving myself. I'm responsible for loving my wife and my children, my father, my mother, my my brother, the people close to me, my students, my community, my state, my nation, the world, all the humans, all the living things, right? And I'll kind of go up through those layers. And then I'll say, can I, can, what would it be like to be loved and all of those layers? And I'll ask the question, right? Like, okay, I'm, I want to love my wife. How, what, how can I be better at that? Like, what can I do today that would make me act out love for her better? So I'll do that with myself and then I'll do that with say someone close to me and then maybe somebody who's emotionally neutral and then somebody who is even someone I hate, right? Can, can the person that I'd like the least in the world, can they be at peace? Can they be well, can they be loved? I don't do that all the time. Usually I only make it through myself, but that's sort of the, the, the ecology of meditation practices that I like to install and it's very, I find it's really, really interesting to have the body scan in direct relationship to the Vipassana. Why? Because the Vipassana, it feels like takes me out of my body. Uh huh. But it gives me a capacity that allows me to go better into my body if I use it properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it also interesting how you say that the Last thing is basically that you reconnect, no, with the world around you. Like you think about mm-hmm. your connection with other people, and you think about other people, um, because that's what love is, no? It's connection between us. So, yeah, I feel that um, because what I see that can happen there, there could be like a dark side of of all these practices, maybe. Uh, not just meditation or or whatever. It's like they're retreating, no, like retreating from the world and retreating, retreating from yes, retreating, yeah, retreating from the world and from in, from from the actual problems uh, that you maybe face with, like you said, with the parkour guy. That you know, like they sort of disintegrating themselves from the actual society in that sense. So, um, it's a bit tricky. Like, I mean, I can also understand to disconnect a little bit from this world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can be useful, right? We, we need separation sometimes, but we, we have to understand what it's in service of. Like, the, the example I always give people who have listened to my podcast are probably sick of this example, but uh, I'm going to give it again. I love parkour because it teaches courage, right? And it's so, it, it teaches courage and it teaches 
respect for truth, right? Like you, you have to accept that there's reality out there when you do parkour, because you can, you either can do the jump or you can't do the jump. And if you think you can do the jump and you can't, then you get punished by reality. Reality says, Hey, I'm here. You don't, you can't just impose your ideas on. Um, and, and so you, you look at a jump and you get to feel afraid and then you get to, to do a process of how you overcome that fear. And if you, if you use that right, you get to take it into other parts of your life. But what I've seen is that you can actually use it to bullshit yourself. You can say, hey, clearly I'm courageous because I can do this jump, but actually I don't have the courage to have the difficult relation, uh, relationship conversation that I need to have. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. The, the, the carryover is not there automatically. And mm -hmm. I like one, one of my friends, Philip, he was one of the first guys in Germany that started parkour. He once... Uh, Yeah, said this to me, and I liked it so much. He said to me, Yusuf, actually, I don't think I can solve problems better now through <laughs> this years of practice of parkour. He's <laughs> such a, you know, he's such a honest and humble guy. I liked it so much. He was not into like saying this. Yeah, and we can then solve other problems. We can because we can overcome obstacles. So we, <laughs> it becomes metaphorical and so on. Yeah, yeah. and he was so honest. Of yeah, actually, I don't think I. And solve any other things better for through all this. It was great. It was great. Yeah, yeah. we had so, there was a naive expectation that the transfer would be automatic. Yes. When when the community started. Now hopefully we're at the maturity level of saying how would we set up a practice such that we get the best bleed between those practices so that it delivers who we want to be, but it's interesting to me that you kind of went right away to the religious question at the beginning of this talk, right? It seems to be on the surface for you because I think ultimately in some sense that, that we can't actually have these questions very well if we don't have a highest good that we're aimed at. And what, it, you know, what is it ethics subsidiary to? Yeah, exactly. Like, where, where does it come from? Like, what's the, yeah, what's the root? Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, we have these things inside of us and we extrapolate it. No, like small children, they already know about fairness. But they don't know about justice, but they know about fairness. Mm -hmm. Just naturally, yeah, they say, ah, that's unfair and so on. And no one needs to teach them about that. Yeah, maybe there's, in that sense, things that come from the bottom and things that come from the top. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Like, and we're in between, like, in between the the earth and in between in the heavens. In the the heavens, yeah, yeah, exactly. And for me, at the moment, it's also interesting to explore because uh, yeah, there's such differences in uh, in the world also in in approaches. Like there's these different religions, for example, and they can be very different. No, like the Asian approach there's there is of course things that overlap with um the abrahamitic relig religions uh but they can also differ tremendously from each mm -hmm. other and uh, it, it's interesting to look and in, to look into this and also um see like where is things matching and um what is the synthesis of these things also with native american um 
ethics and and or religion or way of approaching things that i was introduced to from the wilderness stuff because my wilderness teacher in germany is a student of tom brown jr mm -hmm. so he yeah so there's also like i mean uh, quite a few there are quite a few teachers in germany that went to tom brown and there's now also through that there's a uh, sort of tradition of yeah, approaching things in a more Native American style in Germany and how wilderness things are taught. And that was for me also very, very crucial. Like if this idea there about the spirit that moves for all things. Mm -hmm. I, I found I found that so beautiful. That directly resonated with me, you know, it was directly I, ah, yeah, this there's no resistance. Because many people, if you talk about if you say the word God, at least in mm -hmm. Germany, it creates directly resistance. So I started to to just say it also, uh, and I explain like, okay, just don't think about uh, a guy with a beard in the sky. Just stop it for a moment. Yeah. Just don't think about anything, any persona. Just use the word. Yeah, just try to understand what 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 do we talk about with this word. And if you want to personify, okay, it's up to you. But you don't have to do it because I think there's there's where people you know get got this resistance. Okay, there's Asian Enlightenment and so on, and uh, yeah, okay. Actually, there's not probably not a guy that uh, uh, parted the Red Sea and so on. Mm. Yeah, so or maybe there was. Who knows? Uh, and that's why now people now they have much easier time with Asian stuff, for example, because there's mostly not this personification yeah like in buddhism there's not this yeah. personification in taoism there's not this personification um it is much e easier for people it's almost like i don't know what to call it a mistake but you know like i mean yeah I think... it was not so you know it makes does make it easier for people to look into these things because of the personification yeah, the a lot of that is just because people are exposed to the writing and not to the actual religious practices. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you go to where Buddhism is practiced, there's lots of idols, right? There's lots of gods. There's lots of, you know, worshiping. There's lots of personas that are worshipped, right? The, the, the philosophical Buddhism that Westerners think is real Buddhism and Buddhism isn't a religion. It's not the Buddhism that was practiced in the East for, you know, thousands of years. Um, and the same is true with Taoism, right? Taoism, you can read, you can read the Tao Te Ching and you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm into Taoism. Um, and, but it doesn't really tell you much about the, the practice of the Taoist sages and their relationship to animistic gods and figures of worship. Um, so part of the reason why it's comfortable for secular Westerners is actually because it's just been ripped out of its cultural context in a way that allows us to, to not see where it came from. You know, <laughs> it's actually kind of like movement culture and capoeira, right? Uh, like we, if you only encounter movement culture, then you don't realize where most of these locomotor patterns come from. But uh, capoeira is a much messier and less rational thing to encounter in many ways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i also think it's actually much more of a culture mm -hmm. and ultimately you know 
Yeah, it's an interesting one because, uh, you know, Capoeira, like our traditional religions, it's got some really dark flaws in it, you know? Uh, the, the traditional street culture of Capoeira is not so ethical, right? Yeah. Being a yeah, yeah. Drago is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the teachers so are always uh, like all the all the let's say Brazilian sorry Brazilians but all the Brazilian capoeira teachers in Germany that I you know where I have students where they practice with a Brazilian teacher in Germany they always tell stories you know yep. it's like always yeah and da 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 da, da. yeah so there's a yeah there's an interesting like how do we engage with that the the real messy fully embodied deep tradition of capoeira and try to ascend sort of out of some of its dark dynamics without gutting it of what made it so profound right like i look at a lot of movement culture and i just find it so um to me it's it's like it's like a misdirection right it's like okay so if your goal is to be good at solving movement problems, patterns are not the solution, mm -hmm. right? Games are the solution. So if you take all the patterns out of Capoeira and you get rid of the game and you get rid of the music and you get rid of the like a live partner interaction, you've gotten rid of most of what actually makes you an adaptive athlete out of it. Yeah. It's, I it's think it's a question more. about stages also, no? Like in which stage are the, the, the people? And it's always the question, like always when I, like let's say I talk about some improvisation exercise or improvisation proposition. And then uh, there's always the question in the room, is this for beginners already? Or is this for advanced people and so on? And I have to say, yeah, it depends. Like it can, like technically everyone can do it, but in the mind, not everyone can do it. There's so much, let's say, rehabilitation, no? That it, we also have to do that. I feel there's sometimes it's a bit of a different, of a difficult juggle. Yeah. I agree with you uh, completely saying, okay, like if you know just practice fixed patterns, obviously it doesn't lead to movement proficiency. And then and then the question, the other question that arises is how do we help people to start? Shall we directly start with games and improvisation or not? And it's like, a, yeah. in the end, it's an individual, like, I mean, the best thing is to say, probably it's individual. Like if you have someone and yeah, sometimes you give them an improvisation task and you feel, oh, okay, like, it just doesn't work. Like this person just needs to do push-ups because mm -hmm. they will not, they just, they're so far away from moving freely because they're traumatized from their school physical education and, and so on and so forth. But to get people there, yeah, like the, like fighting monkey style, no, uh, where it's like this very, uh, like lots of this partner games uh, and so on. I agree that's ultimately what will create the how do you say the 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 the, the physicality that can flow that can f you know move freely that can uh, interact 
and so on and so forth. Yesterday, I uh, well, just one more sentence. Yesterday, I saw uh, I scrolled for Instagram, and there was this. I think it was an ad of someone. I don't know what it was about in the end, but yeah, he was like I don't know, showing that he was fit, and then he was like doing push-ups, and from the push-ups, he did something else, running or whatever. Ah, but the way he walked to the push-up was with this, though no, this uh, tension side so for yeah, <laughs> the people that are just listening. So with this, uh, the arms a little bit away from the body, yeah, a bit like this chicken, like this uh, bodybuilding style. And I saw it and I thought, oh, yeah, like this is, this is where it got completely like, yeah, this is, that's where it got completely wrong. Like, and when, where we don't even realize anymore what's the problem is that we're doing push ups, that, mm -hmm. but then you walk towards the push up, like you, you have like a big problem, you know, and this burned itself. I'm very, very happy that I saw this video because it burned itself so much now into my brain that I thought, I never want to be like this. 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 <laughs> so, there's two, there, I think there's two issues there though that you're highlighting. So he walks, so let's say he's walking to the, you know, you, you see a, a fitness influencer, right? Imagine he's ripped his huge pecs and shoulders and abs. And he's walking up to this thing and you see that he's, he's puffed out, right? He's He's stiff, his lats are spread. Is he like that because he's adopted the tensioning patterns that work in high tension exercises in something that's not a high tension exercise, gait? Or is he like that because he's projecting an image and the, the and looking puffed out is, the, is what's attractive to the audience, mm -hmm. right? So like you see that that's not, that's not a good stable, that's not a good way to be moving such that you could actually solve movement problems well but somebody else sees impressive physical specimen yeah it's uh i just want to yeah i just wanted to highlight that what you just said it's uh it's, it's an interesting phenomena no like the the people that are maybe not so much in the topic they see it and they feel oh that's very impressive and someone is further in it it's all like you know i would say okay you're like okay when i was like 14 maybe that also impressed me but now i'm so far further that it's actually like a, someone that is you know like super soft high chi guy that can do push-ups is so much more impressive than these yeah. like dudes you know and it's <laughs> it's a bit like this uh uh andrew tate Mm -hmm. uh, thing where you also feel like yeah when i was 14 i've also found this impressive to i don't know drive these cars and and no, say you are no. super smart and all this stuff you know but now uh, you just think okay it's a bit it's a bit silly what's happening here <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah <laughs> wanted to go back a couple steps to Improvisation and beginners. Hmm. So, you know, um, my understanding of like Edo Portal style movement culture um, of, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, not the current iteration, but the iteration that sort of spread around the world 
was, you know, six months, a year of just strength and preparation and joint integrity and mobility work. And then you can start working on patterns. And then maybe later down the road, you get to do improvisation. And uh, I, I think this is fundamentally a really mistaken approach. Now, on the flip side, I've also been in capoeira classes where I've watched people kicking up into handstands of completely deconditioned wrists who are getting wrist injuries or in pain all the time. People trying to, you know, being thrown through back handsprings with poor spotting technique or 40 year old women who are 40 pounds, 50 pounds overweight. And you're like, this is horrifying. This is just, you know, you know, this is not going to work. So there is a necessity to be able to atomize skills, break things down into uh, drills and to recognize the missing components, right? To look at an athlete and say, you just don't have the mobility right now to do the skill that you're working towards, or you just don't have the strength. But on the flip side, what we've done is we've taken on this idea of how can we train at the highest level of complexity that allows us to derive whatever the adaptation is. So we need a mechanical model and a structural model to understand where the needed adaptation is. But then rather than just treat everything as these like super simplified drills that you're building up from or super simplified exercises. It's like, well, can I actually get that by constraining the task such that it's safe enough that I can be open and playful and alive and get a bigger set of benefits from it? Mm -hmm. So like I love Yosef's work and Linda's work. Sometimes the games feel like they scale too fast. There's not, mm -hmm. there's not a low enough level of, there's not a constrained enough version for it to be safe for everyone who enters. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are people in workshop where it's just too much for them. Like, but it's difficult, of course, like uh, if you, because you have this high level mm -hmm. people in the workshop and you have this, uh, I have to say the last time I've been in the workshop from Joseph Linda was uh, five years ago. So yeah, I, mm -hmm. uh, me too. I need to say yeah. that, but um, uh, I know that there are some people. You know, let's say they are sixty-five and they come to the workshop and they are already a bit more frail and so on. And for them, the workshop, like a two-day fighting mongrel workshop, can be too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a dose makes the poison, right? But yeah. I think that, and and yeah, and I I think you know that's a really good caveat. Like I know that Joseph and Linda have been growing a lot as coaches because they came from working with very highly competent dancers and now they're working more with general population. And I'm sure that their, their model has, has gotten a lot better um, in that ability to meet the needs of, of less advanced students. Um, I also guess so. So I don't want to, I don't want to discourage any 65 year old to go to a fighting monkey workshop. Yeah. Do it. No, yes. Yeah. Do it. Okay. So, um, but it, when I encountered them and I saw that and I said, okay, well, some of these games I really like, is there a way that I can, can constrain them a little bit more? And what we found is that if we can get the constraints right, we can pretty much take virtually any athlete and put them into a play-based scenario immediately and get them to start adapt adapting. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. if we want to get them the entire spectrum of physical development we do have to do more right it's not enough so far i have not been able to discover a way to make every part of the practice play-based even for myself right 
like right now i'm i'm going into the gym and i am squatting and i am doing muscle ups and i am doing uh nordic hamstring curls and it's not fun i don't love it <laughs> on tuesday i i tweaked my ankle um and so i i had a what would normally be a parkour training day for me and i made it a strength training day i skipped ahead and did my strength training for the week on that day but then i had to go to the, the parkour gym to train my kids it's a ninja gym but anyways so i was mm -hmm. there there was all of my training partners were there having a freaking great time it was so hard <laughs> to be like i'm too fatigued to train right now you guys are having a great time i had to do this boring stuff in the gym today but it 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 works right it's like right now um that is the most efficient pathway to solidifying the adaptations that allow me to play the way that I like to play. Yeah. And, you know, I spend six months a year, basically, or four months a year, not doing any strength training. So, you know, I can, I can do it. So there's a, there is a balance between these, what, uh, like I've talked to Kelly Stratt about this idea of like a, the romantic side of the practice versus the classical side of the practice mm -hmm. sets and reps and progressions and measuring things. You know, like one of the things that I find most powerful, I, I think people really make a mistake here. They focus on getting the right program rather than getting the right feedback metrics. Cause I think that it's like, go in, put effort in, try it but know what you're trying to change and measure what you're trying to change regularly enough that you see if you're achieving it. And then your program will sort of evolve out of that. Oh, that's working. That's not working. Let's shift it. Let's change it. Let's move it. Um, and so, yeah, that, that classical approach, that aspect of, of the scientific, can we measure it? Can we organize it? Can we do it well? It is really necessary, but it's not sufficient to create truly adaptive, broadly capable movers. Yeah, and the question, you know, there is again, again the overarching question pops up, like what is the movement practice for mm -hmm. in the end? Like, like because that's, that's a why, no? Uh, it's mm -hmm. for this, uh, creating this athlete that can do lots of, sorts of things movement wise um but that doesn't need to be the answer it could be also other outlooks on it i personally also feel open to the the path that i go with the people on the movement side um because Yes, I, I also feel very connected to this idea that people can move very diverse, definitely. I don't cling to it too much. Like, I also feel, hey, it uh, doesn't need to be that way. Yeah, it can be also, I have a bit of uh, difficulty to put it into words, I feel, uh, because it's, I'm not 100% finished with my thoughts on that. But... For sure, I I feel at least my physical practice, how what I do with people, yeah, it could be also 
happening maybe without play or it can also happen without the uh, exercises and counting and reps and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah there could be it could be different halves like happening yeah, i will see also what what happens um i'm relatively confident that i will keep also this different approaches alive like like uh, you know like doing lots of play and yeah. doing also the exercises and clarity uh and so on but i don't hold it like i don't want to you know say uh, that's that's the that's the right thing that's a uh, thing that is that i uh, that i feel this is the best and so because yeah like i said in the beginning like in the end the 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 person that can do lots of different things is just or just is one uh milestone on the path it's an important milestone no like to continue the path further but i also feel like the milestone doesn't necessarily need to you don't necessarily need to stay too long and uh, you know and dig deeper into the milestone and yeah i want to get better and better 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 and for and to get better i need the best approaches and so on you know i sometimes feel like uh like with the people that initially learn this stuff like to move to be able to move it's important that it's done well but the last few percentage percentage points are not so important like about yeah this is the best way or this is the best way and, and so on you know i feel like yeah maybe there's a better way uh to yeah. learn the handstand or something like this or yeah or to to solve your yeah. your issue with the shoulder with the elbow or with the shoulder and so on uh, but yeah I you know i always yeah like i think that um there's a kind of naive narcissism that we develop in relationship to our practices when we fall in love with them. And then we we often don't recognize that we're really operating from a different frame than someone who comes in for something different. So, you know, you could be like, well, the movement frame is just the frame. That's that's where we should be or right? everything else is within that. But someone say a doctor and they just really need to maintain the health of their body so that they can do their work. Doing a bunch of locomotive practices might not really offer them much beyond what you know running on a treadmill and doing some squats and some pull-ups will do right exactly. there's certain yeah. physiological challenge there's certain physiological parameters that we need for health right that we we actually like there's a lot of pathways to get there and we don't need to be too precious about how we get there exactly I fully agree, and this is exactly what I yeah. For becoming a father, father, that was so important. Like when I became a father, I realized, yeah. I mean, now I know how it is to have little time. Yeah, before <laughs> I, you know, it was like yeah, I train forty hours a week, and I still have, I still have time to do other things and so on. Yeah, and suddenly it was like, oh, I'm happy if I train a few hours per week. Suddenly. <laughs> It was so great. It was such an important experience because suddenly I was able to uh, really feel what people in the situation which people are. Yeah, exactly. Like you say, for example, I have one 
uh, guy that trains with me, he's a he's a doctor. He has a small child. He builds a house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my my uh, my um, task is to create a training for him that he can do after he was working because he has his own uh, uh, practice, like his own uh, thing. Yeah. So he is also a businessman in that sense, which means he has a lot of stuff to do. So I want to give him something where he feels where it's clear that he can do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's the, the most important task that I have as a coach is that people continue the practice, that yeah. they can continue the practice. That's so important. So I cannot put anything of, yeah, I need to, they need to do this because I know this is the best. And, and so on. No, I need to listen very carefully and understand, ah, yeah, this is what you do. Like also from a mental, like not just physiologically, but mentally, I, when you come out after you yeah, did eight hours of work with patients, and uh, you come home to your little child and then you need to call the, uh, the, the, the people that built your house and so on and have some arguments with them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what practice then that is like maybe half an hour is good for you to do. And then at the same time to get uh, a, a good, good uh, bunch of, yeah, what you said, this things that we need for our health no like okay yeah instead of running inside on the treadmill if possible could you run outside that would mm-hmm. be great yeah so uh, and already there for because so many people are so what we are talking about and what we are thinking about like or, or uh, daily no and and all the with the people that you that you train with in the in the ninja gym yeah mm-hmm. they, there's like so far in this game already mm-hmm. Like I, 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 a few days, like last week, I uh, I did such a nice uh, training with someone, like a personal session with someone where I felt like, wow, this person knows nothing and it's so refreshing. <laughs> and I just explained, I explained so basic things, you know, like how to do a, a, a squat and uh, yeah, how, 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 how to do like really basic things and, and uh, like some basic about nutrition and so on. I felt very like ah yeah you know this is the reality of of so many people but many of these people will they will never come to us maybe also because we are so far already no in mm-hmm. in this yeah, thing yeah. and they feel like oh this is like too crazy for me and and so on so i have it's always very refreshing when i work with people that um have not already you know seen thousands of videos or yeah that have never heard like the name Ido Portal or even or movement culture or things like things like this. Yeah, sometimes it happens. Like someone is referring someone to me, they know nothing. Like they don't know anything about what I do. They just heard, yeah, my friend told me uh, I should come to you and uh, yeah, I, I want to do some training and uh, so on. Yeah, it's really yeah, it's it's <sighs> interesting because like I don't I don't really have a personal training practice, right? So my, my teaching is predominantly done through these long retreats. And the advantage of a long retreat is that I can go very deeply into many different practices. So we can present something that's really holistic. And people report that like being able to put all these practices into um, coordination across a retreat like that is extraordinarily uh, life-changing. But there's a problem, which is that it's very difficult then to go do it, right? Like outside of the context of the 
retreat container, it's, it's actually hard to find time in your week to have a, body, a structural and uh, somatic practice and a parkour practice and a nature connection practice and a martial arts practice and a, you know, a manipulative practice and a contemplative practice and a communication practice, right? I was like, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> this is becoming quite a lot to try and coordinate. So I like to offer people the overall map, right? That I talked about the five connections, the different pieces of the practice. And then the challenge is always, well, what is the minimal part of this that you can install in your life? And what is the part that you will fall in love with such that will help you build the systems to bring these other things into your life? So I think a lot about this idea of anchor practices, right? It's like, I will, I will stay involved with my practice just because I love this thing, right? Just because it, it brings so much joy to my life. So I don't know that parkour is the most powerful transformative uh, practice for me um, and sort of best container for my self-development going forward. But I know that I will do it, right? I know that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it and I know that I miss it when I don't have access to it. And then if I lose the skills that I have, then it makes me sad. And so it's like, okay, well, at least I can do that. I will show up for my parkour practice three days a week. I've done that for 19 years, right? So probably going to do it for the next year. And if I do that, then I can say, hey, how can I bring some of these other things into that practice? Or how can I extract a little bit more of what I want? Right. And then if my life gets really intense and stressful, it's like, okay, I'm still doing parkour. If my life has more spaciousness, then it's like, okay, now I'm going to reinstall my meditative practice. Now I'm going to reinstall my combative practice. Now I'm going to go out and get some dance training. And then if, if everything's in too intense to do anything, but the absolute minimum, then at least a couple days a week, I'm out doing parkour. And if I'm out doing parkour, maybe I can incorporate a little bit of the dance. Maybe I can find someone who will do a little bit of sparring with me. Maybe I can practice communicating a little bit better. Maybe I can take a moment in between reps to practice contemplation, to practice meditative stuff. And so by having that one anchor practice, and you know, I, I, I very much recognize that parkour is not everyone's anchor practice. It's my anchor practice. Mm -hmm. uh, I have this ability to sort of sustain the habit of practice over time and then be able to use that to sort of like blossom out when the opportunity arises. And so what I'm looking for with students is what is that? What for you is the thing that you can fall in love with enough that you'll never lose the habit of practice going forward. Yes, exactly. And this I also feel very connected to. This is what I feel is my task with people to open doors with them together so that they can see different things and then they can feel where do they feel very much at home. And that can be on the uh, on the movement spectrum, but also on the other spectr spectr spectrums. Mm -hmm. uh, that I <laughs> that I do with people like wilderness, yeah, or philosophical stuff, uh, or introducing them to uh, different crafting things or artistic like art 
things and and so on so that opening the doors because i feel this is what my school did for me my mm. school opened these doors you know we did yeah. all sorts of crafts like really like 20 different ones we did all sorts of stuff with music theater and dance and we of course having all the normal stuff also we went to uh, uh to see like different people how they work yeah and we did all sorts of different practical like we like uh like if, um how do you say like yeah traveling to different places and so on mm-hmm. and this was like I, I when i did it when i was there as a, as a yeah student i did, didn't always appreciate this but after i realized wow for example in the crafting everything i already did a little bit you know mm-hmm. Like all sorts of stuff with wood. I work with metal. I work with like all sorts of things with cloth and sewing and knitting and and uh, making uh, from from uh, directly from the wool from the sheep. Like making the string and, and like everything. I already did a little bit, you know. So now I can always come somewhere with this confidence. Like when there is crafting, is like ah yeah i I already did so many stuff of course i can uh i have already a connection no like when you learn a new language and it connects to your language like if it's uh, similar Mm to uh to to english like yeah like german is very similar to to english or french is very similar to english yeah okay i have a connection Mm -hmm. i have confidence i can actually learn the chinese very far away so i feel a little bit less confident it feels a little bit more difficult Okay, yeah, but this nice confidence is open doors uh, through like a wide movement practice also. No, that was also, I mean, that's what's also always Ido's uh, vision to have that thing that you can go to everyone and play with them. Yeah, you can yeah. do go into the dance class and, and so on. And uh, uh, he really helped me with that, I have to say, and with uh, in the time that I practiced with him and he did it also nicely sometimes i remember the first time i went to a dance class contemporary dance class he just told me joseph be there tomorrow at 10 o'clock at this location okay just come uh and then we go upstairs and there's a dance class happening he i liked it how he was doing it that he didn't tell me you know like he didn't mm-hmm. allow me to draw to draw <laughs> to have any fear or to drop out or something like this yeah. it was directly like Okay, I don't tell him, and we just go, and that's it. And it was it it, it was good. And I have to um, uh, I can be also critical about Ido's work, but I have to say also one positive thing about it here. Uh, I can't say many positive things, but I have to say what what he did well when I was practicing with him. And it can be a critique also. There comes a moment later now, but he was thinking in this long horizons so mm-hmm. when he was practicing with, with us he was saying okay this year we are doing this yeah this is our focus yeah this topic yeah next year will be this and so on so he was thinking in this very long horizons and uh that was there was a thing that was different from people that were seeing this movement culture and seeing there are all sorts of things and that were directly trying to practice everything yeah. This really stuck with me also. And I like to talk with people about this long game and saying, hey, actually, think about if you if everything is going well, like how much longer do you have to live? Let's say you are like 35. Okay, 
you might become uh, 85. Yeah, if you're male, maybe a bit less because males are a little bit stupid, so they die sooner. And uh, <laughs> but uh, okay, you have 50 more years. Yeah, great. It's it's wonderful if you can think of in this long things because think about it now. Uh, if you would start practice the violin uh, now, and you still have 50 years to practice, like wow, like you know. But so many people they never do a new practice, no, when they are like after 25 or something like this. Yeah. But you still have so much time to do things. And actually, if you start in 10 years, you still have 40 years. I mean, that shouldn't be something you tell yourself all the time that you still have so much time. But actually, it also means, hey, if I practice this at the moment. That's okay. And in five years, I will do this. Or in 10 years, I will do something like this. Because I have so often, I have people that are like, oh, I want to do this and this and this and everything at the same time. Yeah. And uh, a few months later, they have a little burnout, let's say, you no, know, because they're trying to do too many things and they realize it doesn't really work. Like I don't progress properly in the things because I cannot devote enough time to the stuff. And now the, the, the other thing is, so it's maybe a little bit of a critique about this approach is that uh, I feel like when I teach, I also need to have in mind the horizon that I can put. And I talked yesterday with, um, uh, with a friend of mine, Steve, who has a Chinese martial arts school. It's mm -hmm. like a monastery. People live there in the school in Berlin. Mm -hmm. It's very beautiful. And he told me also, yeah, there is a con there's a traditional path that you do. This traditional path, it takes like 10 years or something like this to go from here to there. A bit like when you're the Fruitsche guy, <laughs> I, I still laugh about it. Where uh, he, You know, you have this yeah. uh, thumping, um, I think it's called. No, one hand is like this and one hand like this. And then, <clears throat> and then someone asks in the workshop, can we also do the other way? Can we also do like this hand up and, 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 that, and that hand down? Because I realize you always have it like this. And he says... Yes, you can change, but only every uh, eight to ten years. <laughs> Something like this, he said. <laughs> it's nice, but then on the other hand, uh, Steve also, he, he told me yesterday, he said, yeah, but I have to think about the horizon as well. Like, most people will not stay ten years. So how do I make a package that makes mm -hmm. sense, but I have only three years, or I have only one year, or I have only two weeks? Yeah? Yeah. When I stopped uh, my time with Vido, I had this feeling that I cannot move. It was a very weird feeling, you know, that I cannot move really practically. Of course, mm -hmm. I was I was uh, I was able to do parkour at least to my uh, level, and uh, bouldering I did a lot. Yeah, I felt confident with with climbing. And I did martial arts starting when I was 13, but I still felt like, wow, now for years I haven't really practiced much actual martial arts, you know? Mm -hmm. But I felt like, yeah, I have, we have also practiced lots of dance, but also uh, in, a, in a way there was somehow there was a gap, you know? I felt like, Maybe we should have went into clubs in the evening also, you know, or to, uh, to martial arts gyms and practice much more with people there. Like, it was a weird feeling for me. Like, of course, it was not entirely true. Like, I could do things, you know. I had experience in all this different stuff, but I felt a bit like, huh. 
I did all this exercise and I have the strength. I can do one arm chin up. Yeah, I was able also to do a little bit one arm handstand and so on and all this stuff and flexibility, blah, 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 blah. But this is when uh, I did the a first version of this video that you watched, this map. I did a first version like some years ago that's just 10 minutes long where I emphasize this, that, hey, uh, this stuff, and I created this workshop called Dancing, Fighting Locomotion, Crafting, mm -hmm. where I, I really that. emphasize, yeah, this practical stuff. This I want to emphasize so much more, practical things, really yeah. the stuff. And I think that's also your criticism as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, uh, I think there's a lot of people who, who come out of movement culture virtuosic in uh, a series of skills that actually have very low transfer. Um, if you know, I, I think in that video you were talking about um, choose choose skills that have a lot of close cousins. Mm -hmm. And I, I would go beyond that. Actually, I want skills that have asymmetric relationships. So, if you get good at um, tumbling in gymnastics, it will help you on high bar and rings and uh, and parallel bars, but you'll get very little transfer from the rings to tumbling. So there's asymmetry in skill development. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Pommel horse has almost no effect on anything. It's, it's very isolated from every other skill form, except for a little bit of the floor. So, mm -hmm. um, so we can see that there, that not only do some skills have more close relatives, some skills, have asymmetric relationships to those close relatives and the central skills that we should be focused on are those hubs that everything else is spoked off of so um that's a whole that's a whole deep topic where um I'm, I'm 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 running out of time i have another meeting i have to take in a few minutes but uh i really enjoyed this um and you know there's a f so many things i feel like we could have gone even more deep into the influence yeah. of the Steiner School and how that impacts your your perception of of movement and how we build a a praxis around movement, and then even how uh, how the movement culture then goes back into the schools, right? And how the schools are are missing so much by not having a good physical literacy standard um, and what is the what is the good that this is all aimed at right that that's a that was a deep point in the conversation and and then and then yeah what is this map of what a good really well formulated movement practice looks like right there's there's some brilliant i mean you know uh ito's added a tremendous amount of powerful insight into this community. Yosef's added a tremendous amount of powerful insight in this community. Uh, Methode Natural. Um, I would highlight uh, a thinker from Austria, Margaret Stryker. Um, if you haven't checked out her work, you know, maybe you can find it in the German and that would be really cool. But hopefully we're, we're able to come up with better models now. And I think that there's, there's real critiques of some of those models that, um, that we can benefit from. So it's fun to, it's fun to be, involved in the conversation you know to see you know to see this happening i've, I've spoken with you i've spoken with brent Vizirolu, i've spoken with with rodrigo salalima and it's like there's a some interesting things i really enjoyed your conversation with aaron martin as well mm. uh, soft acrobatics 
It's like yeah. that. Very interesting things in the philosophy uh, or the pedagogical principles around movement. Um, and then also the connection of the movement culture into the philosophical realm. So I feel like we we brushed across a lot of topics and there's a lot of things we could have gone deeper in and maybe we'll have an opportunity to do that in the future. Yeah. My, yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. Final comments. Yeah. Yeah. My final thing is that I find it so exciting that we are in this community, in this world that is so alive. There's mm -hmm. so many open questions. There's so many things that are so like mobile and liquid. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it, it became more like uh, I was talking about this with Marcello also today that um, there was this time when it was very ego centered. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this disappeared. Um, and now there's much more different ideas and, and takes and so on and so forth. And I like it that we have conversations with each yeah. other. Yeah. The people that are in this for longer and so on. And it, it is such a, it's a very open community and I always feel, Hey, I can just write to people on Instagram and we can have a phone call and, and so on and, and, and test ideas out. And it's very beautiful. And I'm, I'm very excited to see where, yeah, where it goes in the next 50 years. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For those who are yeah, not aware of him, Marcello Palazzo, I think is who you're speaking of. He's a really uh, wonderful movement teacher as well. Hopefully we'll have him on the podcast soon. Um, for people who are looking to know more about your work, you have the Laban Proxis um, podcast, uh, website, Instagram, YouTube, where else should people find you? Yeah, yeah, my my website and uh, my like from for my artistic side, the YouTube channel uh, is the uh, like is let's say my main thing. I also do Instagram and so on, but I want to get people from Instagram to my YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Me too. <laughs> I understand. I agree. Instagram, but it exists. Um, is it usefbars.com or? Yeah, josephbarts dot uh, no dot de dot de yes. yes. Uh, if you put dot com, it will redirect you. Yeah. So if if the US people want to put dot com, it works also. Josephbarts dot de is the correct one. And please don't mistake me for a German uh, tubist player on Spotify. <laughs> if you put my name on on Spotify, there's also some albums, but it's not me. It's okay. a different Joseph Parts, but I guess he's also nice. <laughs> very good, very good. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much for joining me for today, and that was uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. It was really nice. Yeah, thank you, Rafe.